Welcome to the Sacred Emergence Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Wong, and I'm so thrilled that you're here. This is a place where you'll be guided to living your most aligned life so that your truest, most radiant self can emerge. We'll be jamming on topics ranging from spirituality, entrepreneurship, to wellness and lifestyle design, and everything in between that can support you to grow, evolve, and shine, all the while not taking ourselves too seriously. So if you're ready to step into your leadership, break through limiting beliefs, own all of who you are, and expand in abundance, grab yourself your faith cup of tea, and let's dive in. Hello, hello. Welcome to this week's episode of the Sacred Emergence Podcast. It is Michelle Wong, and our guest today is incredible. I'm so excited for this conversation that you are going to be tuning into. Uh, Judy Lee is a dear friend of mine, and her and I talked about identities and belonging, particularly Asian identities, since her and I are both Asian. Um, yeah, it was a great conversation, like two girlfriends talking, chatting, and just sharing our experiences. Um, and Judy is incredible. So a little bit about Judy. Judy is an embodiment photographer who provides portrait experiences designed to cultivate radical self-love, acceptance, and authentic expression. She is also a Women Speak leader, a speaking program designed to teach women to trust their voices and speak their truths. So... I hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, definitely follow Judy, uh, get in her world, and um, and if this episode resonated with you, please share it and tag us and uh, enjoy. Hey, Judy, I'm so excited that you are here joining us in Seattle, um, and we're going to be talking about identity, belonging, and also like we're both Asians, so we're going to talk about that. I am so excited that you invited me. I've been wanting to be on your podcast forever. And I was about to message you and be like, hey, can I podcast when you message me first? So apparently we're on the same wavelength there. I'm so excited. Yeah. And well, let's just let the audience know. Um, you and I met through mutual friends um, and through Women Speak. And like, I love, we can talk about that as well. Like just how you've like exploded Women Speak. I just love it. Um and yeah, we've been connected ever since. And I just, I love your work. I love the work that you do. And I'm excited for our conversation today. Yeah, and Michelle, it's been such a pleasure to watch you because I've known you for several years. I mean, I think we, we Women Speak was four years ago, and we'll talk about that later. But um, just to see you, I mean, you were already like this powerful woman then. And just to see you like really like first open and be in this space of complete sovereignty. And honestly, I would say the word divinity comes to mind has been super, super exciting and inspiring to watch. So thank you for being you. Oh my goodness. Thank you. I love that you said divinity. I was just like, what? <laughs> that's that's what comes. There's some women in my life that that word comes up for, and you're definitely one of them. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, I'm excited. So let's talk about identity because this has actually been um, something that I've been sitting with as well and a little bit of Asian identity and also like releasing identities that no longer serve us, but especially with the Asian one. And that became more um, apparent for me after I joined um, the Yellow Collective that you and Trisha did. Um, a lot like you guys are still doing it not you guys but you ladies are still doing it um but that was like I had so much resistance to joining the that webinar <laughs> oh my gosh I I know and it's it's so 
uh, would it be okay if I shared a little bit about what the yes. Yellow Collective is all Let's about? Do. So, all of it. Um, Trisha reached out to me. Trisha is a mutual friend of ours, and she is another woman who I think of when I think of divinity. And she reached out to me during the pandemic and said, hey, Asian American Heritage Month is coming up. Let's put something together. And so we were just like, all right. And then so we put up a little thing together and you you attended. And after that, we were like, you know, we should continue to do these because we as Asian American women don't have many spaces where we can show up and not filter ourselves because I feel like part of being Asian in this, you know, American culture is about like kind of self-editing and tiptoeing around and to be really honest with each other and share our feelings and our experiences in a non-judgmental space. And so that's how the Yellow Collective came about. And we ended up naming it Yellow because it traditionally is used as an identity label, right? That was given to us like in the 1800s and it was in a very, very derogatory way. And she and I have been talking about how um, the color yellow though could also represent sunshine and brightness and light and shining our light. And we wanted to reclaim that identity of yellow because in American lexicon, yellow means coward. So we were like, nope, we're going to make it mean something different. And that's why we ended up calling it the Yellow Collective. And it, and it, and it makes you pause and think. And it even, you know, even when we were coming up with it, we're like, oh, should we really go with this, this name? And, we're, and that's the point. The point of it is to challenge the things that we grew up with, challenge the, the identities that, that have been given to us. And that, that's how that came about. It's so funny because I actually didn't know that yellow was um, like connected with that derogatory uh, coward. I had no idea until you and Trisha were talking about it. And just for our listeners, uh, Trisha, um, I've interviewed her on the podcast. So she, we, her and I talked about sacred power. So I can drop it in the show notes for anyone who's interested in listening to that. Um, but there was oh, Trisha Bolander, I should say. <laughs> Anyway, so there was a piece like when I think of the word yellow, I actually think of like based on race, skin color, like that was like my association. Mm -hmm. And then when I think about it in the context of like Asian, like I, my heritage is Chinese. And so in Chinese, like yellow is associated with gold and king, right? So for me, it was never really a negative, but to hear it from the other perspective of, oh my God, like. They, they've actually taken it like and made it derogatory. It, it just, I don't know, a part of me was like, oh, this is really interesting. And a part of me somewhat identified with it because I grew up in Canada. So my experience was a little bit different, I think, than most Asian Americans. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, there's so many thoughts about this, but... I'm so glad that you you asked me to talk about this because, you know, when I was growing up, I immigrated to America when I was six. And so pretty much my entire life has been spent in America. And only recently have I been rethinking my name. So my name is Judy. And this is something I've just recently been talking about. But the way I got my name was myself, my brother, and my three cousins, we all immigrated to America together and we were registering for, for public school. And this is back in the late seventies. And this is before the big Asian American immigration, you know, that, that really the big push was in the eighties and nineties. And they took our names, our Korean names, 
and used one of the sounds to create an English name. So it wasn't even like a question of, oh, we're going to register you. Do you want an, an English name, an American name? It was, oh, you, your name is not okay. This, it, we can't have a different name. I'm, we're just going to give it to you. Obviously, the people who did this, their intention, they were not evil, right? Like they were not trying to take away our identities, but it was just a default, right? It was a white-centered perspective. And I've been thinking a lot lately, recently about this. And it's come up before this idea of like reclaiming that Asian-ness, that identity. And it's something that I'm I'm really processing and considering changing my name. And then that brings up this whole idea of like, well, should I go back to my Korean name, which is Yeonju? And I and I think too, like, do I really want to go back to that? Because my father gave me that name and he had this you know, birth dream. Have you ever heard of those where no. your parents say that like they have a dream about you, like when my mom was pregnant and he had this dream and it means like he said he saw like this vast ocean and he found this like clamshell with the pearl in it. And it's 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 based on that. And I love that. But at the same time, you know, my father, he has a very strong identity with being Korean. He always saw himself as an outsider. He always saw himself as an immigrant in America. And there was this really hard push pull growing up with having a parent that was like, no, you're Korean. And I remember my brother and I in the we were watching the Olympics and we were talking about the medal count my brother and I were like oh we're so excited because America has the most medal count because this is the country that we knew and getting screamed at by my dad saying you should be rooting for a Korean medal count so he's had that push pull and I've never ever growing up felt like I belonged anywhere like it, I wasn't Korean, I wasn't American, right? Because back then being American, and this is the word that we used even internally within our community meant white, like American is synonymous with white. And so the idea of like even calling myself an American was a no-no. So uh, we're in a different place now. And I think a lot of the place that we're in as Asian Americans is coming from all these outside forces pushing down on us you know if we want to talk about all the stuff going on in the country with the anti-asian hate right it makes us it doesn't weaken us you know what i mean when we were younger you it, it, it could like make you shrink and weaken and i'm sure you and i have tons of stories that we could share about you know being called out and being other and being told that we were less than because we were not white because we were asian and that we were different but as adults now that's so inspiring to see everybody kind of push back and say no we get to claim this we get to decide what our identities are we get to decide what that means to us and i i love that you know um did you do you follow michelle lee no who's michelle lee <laughs> yeah so she's a news anchor and i can't remember what what city she's from but it's like one of the really much smaller cities um and she for for New Year's was sharing you know the different New Year's traditions and she said, Oh, we eat dumplings to celebrate New Year's. And a viewer complained and said, you know, white people don't get to share like what they do. We'd be called, I don't, I don't remember the specifics, but basically this woman pushed back and told her to keep her Asian to herself that she was being very Asian. So uh, Michelle I Lee. I do remember that story. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So Michelle Lee started this very Asian foundation 
specifically in response to this criticism. And, you know, I've bought one of the t-shirts that says very Asian, which is so ironic because I don't really consider myself very Asian. I think I'm just like this mix of many, many different things. But at the same time, it's like saying, hey, we to decide what that means to us, not somebody else. And I think that that's like the core of, of what I've been thinking about in terms of identity is that we grow up being given all these identities, mm -hmm. even from birth, we start with boy, girl, right? Right. And boy, girl doesn't, and boy, girl gets connected to masculine, feminine, yeah. which is not biological. That's, that's a societally constructed term, masculinity and femininity. Gender is societally constructed. It is not based on biology. So we're not talking about body parts. We're just talking about roles. And we, we start out our lives being given, given all these identities. And then we cling to them because it gives us the sense of self. And I think you and I are on this similar journey where we're like, well, but which belongs to me yeah. and which does, what doesn't belong to me and the one that I want to own, what does that mean to me? Yeah. Not and what society tells us. I love that. And I love like from like the work that I do, like I utilize human design. And so it's interesting because it's like the, like, I think the foundation is around the conditioning. Like there's so much conditioning that is put on us and it's like, okay, now let's like unravel what isn't ours and we get to choose like, okay, like what do I want to associate with? What doesn't serve me? What's like my true essence? Um, and it's interesting when you were talking about like your growing up experience of like, like Americans being white, it's interesting because I feel like, well, I grew up in the 80s where um, my, it was very diverse in Toronto. And so like very multi-diverse, there were, I would say there was more multiculturalness than there was whiteness, <laughs> not to like make it like segregated like that. But like most of my friends were Asians or, you know, from different backgrounds. And there are probably a handful of students that were, you know, white colored, so to speak, but I actually don't know like where their family background like origin was from. Um, and so I had have, I've, I've had like a few experiences based not on my classmates, but more like teachers, because all of my teachers, if I recall, are, were white. Um, actually, yeah, they were all white. Now that I think about it, I had like, our Liberian was black. That's so interesting now that I just talking about that because I did feel a little bit of bias, um, just the way I was treated and because I was more of the shy student, but out in the schoolyard, I was not shy. I think there was this thing around authority where I was like more well-behaved, you know, more polite and shy and really quiet. Um, but out in the schoolyard, I was loud and bossy and... <laughs> That was your true self, right? <laughs> that was my true self. But in school, I'm like, oh, authority. Okay, got to behave. You know what I mean? Um, and so it was just really interesting to hear just your experience versus my experience. But also, like, I, like now that I'm in the U.S., you know, like, I, I understand what you're talking about. Like, I feel it. And I, I will say, like, Toronto and Vancouver are very multi-diverse. I would say, like, if you're in other provinces in Canada is less. So that's not to say like Canada is all, you know, what's that word? Toss salad versus melting pot. 
Yeah. 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 I love hearing that. I love hearing how your experience is different being Canadian. Um, the interesting thing is that I grew up in New York City where there were tons of Asian oh people. Oh my gosh. Like my okay. was majority Asian. And even with that, so, you know, there's this belief that, oh, you just got to be exposed to your people. And it's like, no, it depends on a lot of different things, right? There's a lot of factors pushing in. May I ask you, Michelle, if I were to, I'd, ask you like how would you identify what would you say because my makeup artist that I work with I'm a photographer and she is also from Canada I'm like well I can't call you Asian American because you're not really American she doesn't consider herself American because she's very recently from Canada should I call you Asian Canadian should I call you you know whatever how would you respond to that that is so funny Have you, you thought know, about it no like I there's like no one ever uses the term Asian Canadian if anything it's CBC Canadian born Chinese it's like, oh. we just, oh yeah, we're CBCs, we're bananas. <laughs> <laughs> I, we have that term too. <laughs> yeah, that's how I would identify like, oh, I'm a CBC, I'm a banana. So like, you know, a, like yellow on the outside, white on the inside. Oh my God. But um, yeah, we don't have the term Asian Canadian. I don't know why, because it's very yeah. like Asian American is very prolific. Like that's the term that most people identify with who are Asian. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that has to do with how race is perceived in Canada versus America. It's good. You know, America is such like a, a really deep history with race and racism and slavery and all of that stuff. I mean, you know, we are the country we are because of all the labor of, of, you know, other racial groups, racial ethnic groups. And so it makes a lot of sense that you don't have that like hard attachment. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, I would say, like, all, most of my friends growing up were Asian, and we would all be like, oh, yeah, we're Canadian. Like, we were born in Canada, so we're Canadian. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no, yeah. I, yeah. I love that. I love that. And that is very different from America, because I have to say, going back to what I shared about growing up and, like, when we say, is he American? And this is something we would not just the Korean community would use, but also, like, why people would say that would be like, oh, or is he like, I'm dating someone, is he American? Meaning the question means, is he white? And so my entire life, I've always been like, well, I'm not, I'm not American, but, and then I was going through like this identity crisis. So growing up, I wanted to be white. This is a very, I don't know if it was like that in Canada, probably not because you, you seem to have like a different framework, but yeah. this is a very common experience in America. Like I've heard a lot of Asian people say that growing up, they wanted to be white and just like, trying to emulate whatever, you know, whatever this is, this like ephemeral definition of what whiteness is, because even that is problematic. Even that term is really yeah. problematic. Um, just describing that. And so I was going through all this, you know, identity, racial self-hatred, internalization, all the stuff that we go through. And then in college, I had a racial awakening. I started taking African-American studies courses and I was like, God, there's this whole history that I never learned about. And I think today they're better about including some of the stuff. But I mean, as you've heard in the news, there's like so much pushback happening it's so crazy. about it. Yeah. yeah, it is crazy. And, and they want to keep the history filtered and white centered. And so, so anyway, so I had this racial awakening and then I, I became really good friends. I became involved with the Asian student union and we were fighting to get Asian American studies curriculum in the school. So I was part of this. And so I started learning about Asian American history and all of this stuff. And, and I was like, I'm going to reclaim this Asian version of me, the Korean part of me. And I remember like my junior or senior in, year in college, my family finally went back to Korea. So this is the first time I've been back since I immigrated when I was six and I was like 21 or something like that. 
And I was like, mm, finally, I'll just feel like everybody else. Like I'll just blend in. I won't be an other. I won't be different. I'll just be part of something bigger. And <laughs> I got to Korea and I was like, holy cow, like I'm nothing <laughs> like these Korean people. Like I don't, I was like a super feminist, you know, I, I didn't fit into the cultural norms. And I swear to God, Michelle, like my Korean at that point, you know, I had parents speaking Korean constantly growing up was like really good. I didn't have like that accent, you know, like I didn't sound like a white person trying to speak Korean. And I swear to God, everybody would just look at me and they'd be like, oh, you're from America, aren't you? And I was like, oh, they could just tell. Oh, just, yeah, just the way I dressed, the way I carried myself was so different. And it kind of sent me into this like further crisis because I was like, well, I thought I tried to be, you know, quote unquote, American white. And then I was like, okay, let me claim being Korean. And then I actually went to Korea and I was like, I, I have, I felt even more other in Korea, um, you know, other than eating the food, which is, was phenomenal. But other than that, I felt more other there. And so I've kind of been in this like in-between space of not belonging to anything, which I don't think is a bad thing either, not having a firm identity yeah. and having peace with that. I think there's something really beautiful about not belonging to anything. And it wasn't until uh, my kid, I adopted my children from Korea that kind of brought me back home, like full circle to that. And then when Donald Trump was elected, that was when I was like, what? You don't get to tell me who belongs in America. Right. You don't get to tell me who has a right to be called American. And it helped me really reclaim what American means and to eliminate that idea of American being synonymous with white, which is how I grew up, to saying, you can be Asian and be American. You can be a recent immigrant. And, and if it's the country you claim you can be American, you can have an accent and be American. And so it really like that, that push to say like, America, you know, make America great again, make it belong, make it go back, you know, to what it was, make it what it was. That that push kind of made me be like, no, you don't get to tell me what to do. And I think that that's the core of identity is we're told, we're given identities. And with those identities come this very restrictive box of what it means to belong to that identity. And it does create a sense of belonging. But at the same time, if we were to honestly ask ourselves that whatever identity you want to think of, being a woman, being a New York City person, being from Seattle, you know, whatever, you're being from Canada, um, being Asian, being Black, whatever, there's a script that we're given. I don't think any of us, I don't think any of us would fit into that script 100%. I think all of us would be like, well, but I'm a little this, I'm a little that. And it's that reclaiming and recognizing like that's limiting. Let me make it mean what it means for me. And that's the thing is that claiming of self, which is which is where I'm at, the space that I'm, I'm at in terms of like what Asian or American means to me. That's the place that I'm I'm processing. And I don't have an answer yet, but I, I, I love being in this space of like exploration. Yeah, I just love everything that you said, especially around like, like the, the labels that happens when we start to like, okay, this is who I am, my identity. And I just love what you said about the self, like, because when we come back to ourselves, we're all unique and so different that it's like, yeah, I'm a little bit of this. I'm a little bit of that, but it's like, we're not, we're like, even like if I'm Asian or whatever, there's so many layers to that, that it's like, what does that mean? And it can fall into stereotypes that aren't even like it's not accurate it's not an accurate picture so I just love like 
at the end of the day, it's coming back to like our own selves with who we are and like, we don't have to fit in. Um, and that's, I see myself like that. Like I, I'm kind of like this, I'm always like, ah, I kind of feel like I'm always an outlier wherever I go. And a part of me is happy about that. Like I, I just, I like that. Cause I'm just, I'm not going to be with the crowd. I want to be my unique individual, but I have things in common with people for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Michelle, you and I are, are we have very different histories. We have different things that we gravitate to, toward. I mean, I, I feel like essentially you and I are very similar, but at the same time, we can come together as Asian women, right? And have that experience in common because you and I have like so such similar experiences with how we were raised and the expectations that our parents placed on us. But then you and I diverge in so many ways, but that's what's really beautiful about it. And I think with identity, identity becomes like this rigid thing that we like, hold on to and when our identity gets threatened it feels almost like the core of you is being threatened and i would love to invite all of us to really shift from this rigid idea of identity to seeing it as like this fluid complex thing and i think one of the things that you and i you know going on this journey of self-discovery and like really owning who we are and learning to really show up as our most essential self is this idea that like two contradictory or seemingly contradictory things can be true, right? Like I, I consider myself a bright light, but I love my, I've really learned to love my shadows. And there are parts of me that are very dark that maybe make people uncomfortable, but it's just part of who I am. And it's not like one thing's better than the other. Like me being like a woman is not more important to me than being Asian is not more important to me than being, you know, whatever. And so, you know, it's, it's just a really interesting thing. And I think we use these labels and identities to really limit ourselves to really be like, what is that all about? And, you know, just coming back to women speak. So uh, Michelle, you were, I mean, you were like a part of my journey an important part of my journey. So when I started this journey of like really discovering who I was one of the things that I decided to do was face all my fears so I was like what am I scared of and speaking was definitely one of them and that's what women speak is it's a female-centric embodied speaking program and Michelle was my leader and um I just remember like oh I lost my teeth <laughs> I get older but anyway do you have any thoughts I'll come back to it oh my gosh so like I I loved hosting Women Speak because it was such a powerful place for women to just share their voice. And you always, like the way that you spoke, it, there was like this, this rawness, this realness, like every time you went up to speak and I just love that you just, like, I, like this is uncomfortable, I'm gonna do it. And there was like the way that you spoke, I think all of us who were, you know, in the quote unquote audience listening, always compelled, always drawn in. And like, no doubt, whatever you were going to say, it was going to be like, whoa, because it came straight from your heart. And like, that's the power. It's like the power of like us and our voices um, and being liberated. Like, okay, I'm just, when there's a safe space, I get to share it. Like I get to share my voice. Um, and then- yeah. Yeah. And then you ran I remember. with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I remember you were like, Hey, do you want to be a leader? And I was like, yeah. So, so now I remember what it was I was trying to say. So at the time I, you know, and I still am, I'm an embodiment photographer. So I use photography as a tool for self-reflection and personal growth. And it's basically a mirror, right? Our, our pictures of ourselves 
show us the parts we love and show us the parts we don't love. And so I use this as a tool for us to learn to love and embrace like every single part of us, light, dark, and everything in between. And when you were like, you should be a woman speak leader. I was like, I knew in my gut, I was like, I, as soon as you said that, I just knew it's like rang so true. And I resisted it for a long time. Cause I was like, but I'm a photographer, mm. right? Why am I a photographer? And back then I didn't have like this clear vision of what my photography has evolved a lot as, as my journey has evolved back then. I was just all about like showing the light and beauty. And now I've really shifted to some more of a whole approach. And I remember being like, but I'm a photographer. A photographer is not supposed to teach a speaking class. Mm, I didn't know you right because that, that was that identity yes and so even though when you what you what you said wrong so you know it was like a knowing there are times in our lives when we just know and that was like something I'm like I know I'm supposed to be a woman speak later as soon as it came out of your mouth I was like I know this is true and I resisted it and so finally I was like well at some point I said I looked at my business and I was like I don't look like a photographer, like a tr what a photographer is, that identity of what a photographer is. I don't look like this. Just screw it. Just, I don't have to have any identity. And so I ran with it, ran with like, I held workshops and, and connection events and all these different things. And I was like, wow. And it wasn't until years later, after I had embraced like the messy, like amorphous, like overlapping, made no sense. Like I didn't fit into a box. After I decided not to fit into that box anymore, I, I, I emerged from it like a year later being like, oh, all my work is about embodiment and connection to self and it's different avenues to doing it. Awesome. And nowadays I'm like, well, I don't care if this doesn't fit. And I think that's what makes me unique. And my photography experience is unique. I mean, you're not going to come to me and be like, Judy, I want this picture and I'll make sure you make me look this way. You know, it's, it's not like that. It's like, this is my process. Either it appeals to you or it doesn't. It's like, it's kind of like, it's my way or the highway because it's very intentionally designed, you know, and I, and I see women's because it's an integral part of that because it is all about figuring out what your true voice is, you know, and mm -hmm. even in terms of like identity and belonging and all this stuff, we, we limit and we, we, we mute our voices all the time to fit into like, but a woman isn't supposed to speak that way, you know, or an Asian person isn't supposed to speak that way, whatever that limit you may be placing on yourself. And it shows up in our voices too. And so it's the same thing, right? It's the same thing of recognizing like what belongs to me? What do I want to, what container do I actually know? Screw the container. Like let's break out of the container and figure out like, what does that, that look like for us? And I, and I love that. And I think that, you know, I love the term intersectionality, which means mm. you can't just, we can't be, we cannot be defined by one thing. You you just can't, it's not possible. And I have all these different weaving parts of me and it's almost like in our society, we're told like, put on the mask and be the mom. So now I'm the mom. I have two kids, right? Put on the mask and be a business owner. Now I'm the business owner. And it's like, no, they all overlap and intersect and you can't separate one from the other. They're all just part of who we are. And I feel like the more we see ourselves as complex, you know, complex and multi-layered and, and just this whole range, the less we cling on to identity, I feel like the more whole we feel because don't we sometimes not feel whole because we are trying to just see one part of us or just accept one part of us. 
I feel like there is almost like this way of thinking where there are certain parts where, we're, where it's not safe to show up as our true selves. And that was my experience in corporate until it, it was like, but it was my own story, right? But it was kind of like, there's almost, there's like that professionalism in corporate where you can't, you know, show a part of yourself. But I was always like, I was always an entrepreneur. Like I taught Pilates on the side. I had a wellness thing on the side. But I was like nervous to bring it, like to talk about it. Cause I'm like, maybe they'll fire me if I said I did something on the side. So I was always hiding parts of myself. Like that was my identity. Like, oh, like they can't know. Right. But I would kind of like sneak it in a little bit. You know what I mean? And so it's just, I feel like sometimes we think we can't show up until we fully accept all of who we are and like have that bravery and that courage to be like no like I'm gonna bring all of who I am to the table and every time I did that there there was there was no repercussion it was like oh cool I didn't know you did that and I remember at my last job I it was like it was not until the very end that I realized I could have been fully me and that would have been so accepted um because I ended up like teaching meditation in my, in my, in my job, like, but I thought that was going to be rejected somehow, you know, and I wish I spoke up about that sooner, because it would have benefited everybody. Like, it's like one of those things that we can silence ourselves. And it, it can be from like past conditioning of like, safety when we were growing up. But I feel like over time, it's important for us to realize, okay, well, what needs to be healed here, so that we can be our fully expressed selves. Um, and just like that is so liberating. And so even like now it's like, I don't hide any parts of myself. Like I just, I am who I am. You know what I mean? I'm and clapping. So, yeah, brava, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so like, that's like, that's a huge identity. And it's so like that moment of being able to fully express, it's like this feeling of liberation. It's like, it really is. Like there's almost like this, whoa like this body like the body knows it it feels liberated and it's almost like like this exhilaration and peace that's how I feel in my body like this sense of peace and being like okay like awesome not like you know what I mean it's like I can I can continue moving forward it's just the feeling of that that freedom and liberation is huge yeah, I love that you brought up professionalism because it points to this thing that I've been really being super mindful of. And I am committed to breaking down rights of white supremacy and I'm committed to, to to breaking down patriarchy. And the question I always ask myself if I always feel like a limit, because you know, like when you feel that you're like, oh, this feels like a limit, is who who defined it? So if you think about like professionalism, who defined professionalism and what does it look like? And if you think about it, it it's white men. Totally. Uh-oh, are you there, Judy? You paused, you froze. I, I uh, you're frozen. I'll just wait. I hear you cutting in and out, but you're still frozen. <laughs> you can just wait for, I don't know, the internet to catch up. Oh, you shifted. Hey, there you are. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. So you said okay. uh, yeah. white men. Was that, we can repeat that again. <laughs> Where did I cut off? You cut off. You, you broke. And then I was like, should I keep talking? Should I stop? <laughs> it was uh, who defined professionalism? 
Yeah, I love that you brought up this idea of professionalism because the thing that I've been really thinking to myself is like, who got to define that, right? Who got to define what professional looks like? And it's privileged white men decided that you have to wear certain clothes and that your hair has to look a certain way, which is why we need the Crown Act because, you know, black men and women with natural hair, especially women, you know, they can't show up with with the hair, their hair and the way that they wear it. I mean, it's just like, it's just amazing all the ways, you know, that we, we, we feel limited. And I love what you said about feeling that freedom and peace in our body, because true freedom and peace can only really be internal, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think a lot of us grew up and I know this definitely has to do with being Asian. Like I never felt safe growing up being Asian in America ever. I always had to feel like I have to kind of, you know, tiptoe around and make sure I fit in. And now I'm like, yeah, screw that. I'm just going to figure out for myself what that means. But yeah, it's just been really interesting to kind of always ask yourself, who came up with that definition? Who came up with what that, whatever it is that you're looking at, what that's supposed to look like? Who came up with this idea that you know, what a photographer is supposed to be. Cause even within like the photography world, there's a lot of um, push and pull happening because cameras are just so accessible. And now we, our phones have this like amazing AI and we have like fake depth of field. So you can do like a portrait. It looks super professional if you, if you light it well, right? It looks super professional and all this stuff. And so there are these old dinosaurs. And of course, photography traditionally has been ruled by, you know, privileged white men who can afford all this stuff and have education. And they look down on a lot of women photographers who just kind of picked it up. A lot of us picked it up. We're, you know, we're, we're, they call us mom photographers, right? As moms, we picked it up because our kids and they look down on us and they're like, you guys are the reason why you're pulling down the cost of photography and why we can't make the money we want to make and all that stuff. And I'm like, why don't you look at your own work? And instead of looking at just your credentials and all the stuff externally, look internally to say, what is it that I can offer that's valuable? And that's how I built my business. It's not based on, you know, what other people are charging. It's like, this is what I have to offer. And I just want to offer to the people who want it. And so I feel like it doesn't matter what field you're in. There's always this, this, this push pull. And, you know, unfortunately the world is changing, but it is still very unsafe for some people to really be themselves. It just is. And, you know, I'm hoping that we're this kind of work that you and I are doing and this kind of work that we're sharing with the world is so important because we can't empower other people. All we can do is show up and say, hey, I, I'm going to model this and I survived. Yeah. And hopefully someone else will feel inspired too, because man, I feel like the goal of life is just all of us just to keep inspiring each other, just to keep showing up as ourselves. It really is. Um, there's definitely that element of just like, I mean, I, like, I feel like our soul's purpose is to be our most selves. Right. And then through that, it does, it inspires other people. And, um, so I love that. I love that you said that, um, it's interesting what you were saying about like the photography and it's interesting how like in any field exactly like there's some type of hierarchy of like so I love that you're talking about like these dinosaurs because I didn't know there was photography had that because to me it's like art right and it's like who's gonna judge art like you know like yeah people judge art all the time but it's so subjective (laughs) well yeah and it's funny because like uh, you know when I started 
you know, if you visit my website, it's a very specific point of view. Like it's very clear what I do and how I do it and, and who I'm talking to. And I had this, you know, high school boy, like reach out to me and he's like, I'm, I'm a photography student. I'm studying photography. And, and, you know, we were supposed to find somebody who inspires us and you and he said all these amazing things. And then he was like, could you be my, you know, my subject for my thing? And I was like, oh, of course, you know, this is such an honor, whatever. He's like, I just love your approach. And he's like, it's about simplicity and capturing people at their essence and all this stuff. And, and then he sent me this, all this paperwork to fill out. Like I had to fill out like an interview sheet. And it's like, what are your credentials? Where did you get your degree? Like what, what, what awards do you have? Right. It's this idea that like you have, there are these things that we set up these structures and systems to say, oh, you are legitimate. And in some places, like you have to be like, you have to have, go to medical school to be a doctor. It's just, oh, please like, <laughs> don't go to a doctor that doesn't have a medical degree. Okay. There, some of these things exist for a reason, but you know, for photography, you're right. It's art. And it's like, you know, me having this degree and me having these awards is what makes me legitimate at what makes my work valuable. And it's such bull because it's all about what is it that you can offer? And I tell people all the time, I'm like, you could go hire anybody, right? And have a beautiful picture. Like I'm not the only person capable of producing a beautiful picture, but I am capable of giving you a picture that feels true to you. And the experience that you have with me is gonna be very, very different and unique from anybody else. Even if they do similar work to me, it's just gonna be a different experience. And to me, how we feel means everything. Like how we feel in each other's presence, how we show up for each other's each other and how we are present for each other is like my most important values, like how we show up. And, you know, I think a lot of us lose our sense of purpose. You know, what you were just talking about with the per our purpose being our most authentic selves. I totally agree with that. And I think a lot of us do lose track of what our purpose is in life because we cling too hard to all these identities and scripts and, and boxes that we were put in. And, and I think our purpose truly has nothing to do with what we do like what we do doesn't matter like someone's like do you think you'll be doing this this in 10 years and i'm like i have no idea because my kids are always like mom is a photographer and i'm like no mom is i'm just me i don't need a signifier yeah you know i'm just who i am i am right i am is a complete sentence and i think our purpose is all about how we show up what we do doesn't matter. It's how we show up in the world that matters. And for us to be able to show up as our true selves, we really do have to do like that digging and processing to say, what do I want to belong to? What don't I want to belong to? How do I want to identify ourselves? And I hope that at some point we all recognize like I am and that being enough without any signifier, without any identity, without any role, without anything, just I am to be able to say I am. That's it. That's I'm the that's it. That's the package, right? That's the wholeness. That's the completeness. Because we are, we're all whole. It's just we don't feel that way because we're trying to like fit ourselves and take ourselves apart and fit into different things. And you know, just whether it's work or whatever, I I mean, gosh, like, can you imagine a world where everybody could just show up as their whole selves? Like, I was everywhere. thinking about that. Just and yourself. Day. Yeah. Yeah. Like say what we want, do what we want. The world would be such a different magical place. <laughs> yeah. It would be because there would be room for it would be room for everything. Yeah. And like you there's know? yeah. Keep going. Yeah. And and I think like, 
you know, I think we cling on to our identities so strongly because at heart, every single human being wants to feel seen. That's it. That's like our greatest desire is to feel seen and then be accepted Yeah. when you're seen and be connected. Right. So we're, we're, we're not meant to exist like on our own. We're, we're, we're a communal, we're meant to connect we're, we have mirror neurons. We're meant to connect to other people and we all just want to be seen. And then if you look at and having kids, I, I can just, I could see it. Right. And you look at all these adults and the way they behave and it's like, Oh my gosh. You know? And you realize like, there's just little kids who were never mm-hmm. seen. Yeah. And how can we be seen if we, if we have to wear all these layers of armor of like what we're supposed to be and what, you know, what a certain identity is supposed to look like. I mean, if you think about it, like, you know, all the conflict that's going on in America, all this, like this divisiveness is all about, like, it's so cling to identity. And I mean, both sides can be extreme. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's not just one side. There's extremism on both sides. So, uh, you know, if we were to kind of shed that, that label and say, like, what do we all have in common what's the one thing that connects us all is we all just want to be seen and loved that's it yeah that's all we want yeah you know yeah like the word like because we were when we were coming up with this with this episode like this talk it's like the belonging piece right like even if we're completely different that we want to feel like we belong like like and accepted right and so that's just so important and like as you were talking I'm like I think like at the end of the day we have to see and belong ourselves like we have to own that ourselves like see ourselves and know that well I belong like know that I belong on this planet first you know um (laughs) and then versus what other people have to do that for me first I think the self-responsibility to do that inner work that digging wow absolutely and I I look back at growing up and you know, I said to you in the beginning, I said, I never had a sense of belonging. Like I never felt like I fit anywhere. And I'm so grateful for that because as much as it sent me into a lot of darkness, you know, I've I've been through a lot of trauma and all that stuff. As much as it sent me to a lot of darkness, like I had no choice, but to, you know, when I, when I finally felt broken open, like, you know, being broken means you're being broken open. You can be broken closed or you can be broken open. And so when I finally was broken open, I, it forced me to belong to myself because I didn't have a place to belong. And so it's been, I think it's been a gift. And I think that those of us who are on this journey didn't get here because we had it easy and we felt belonging. And, and honestly, to tell you the truth, all the, you know, I look back to all the kids who were popular and looked like they had it all, you know, I'm sure they had their own internal struggles too, that no one knew about. And that there's a pressure that comes with belonging in that way, right? Yeah. Belonging with this identity that's a pressure too. So yes, belonging to ourselves is, is absolutely the number one step is like, once we belong to ourselves, then I don't think we need an identity as much. It doesn't, we can, then the identity becomes fluid. We can make it more fluid and make it more um, something that we just kind of weave in and out of when we feel like it or when we need to. Yeah. And I like the word that comes to mind is self-trust. Like we just, we end up internally just like there's this inner knowing, inner trust. And then that fluidity opens up because it's like, okay, cool. You know, it was like what, like that I am, right? Like wherever I am, here I am. Like wherever I am, here I am, you know? <laughs> we'll have to quote you on that. Wherever I am, here I am by Michelle Wong. <laughs> oh my goodness. 
Oh my gosh. It's been so good, Judy. I love your work. And um, I just like to me in the beginning, not in the beginning, but you, when you were saying like women speak, like me lead women speak. It's funny because I was mentioning it to one of the other members. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask Judy if she wants to lead women speak. And then the person was like, that makes so much sense. Like Judy, like totally. <laughs> so it's like, I, I know. And, it's, it. and I've been doing it. Yeah. I'm like, I think I'm in my fourth year of doing it and it's been just a phenomenal thing. And, you know, I, I, I want to, you know, commend you and say brava to you for just like following your heart and, and just kind of really leaning into who you are. And, and, and I love that, like lately, the things that you've been sharing has all been about that, the idea of like defining things for yourself, like, Oh yeah. You know, what is like one of the terms that comes to mind is divine selfishness. Cause you think of the word selfish and you're like, Ooh, that has it's a lot triggering. of really negative connotation. Yeah. And especially for women. Cause we women aren't allowed to be selfish and, and to be like, Hey, let's redefine it. And I think that that's, that's what, you know, the journey on being Asian for me has been like, has been like, what does that mean to be Asian? And I get to be the one to decide that and I get to decide what I want to claim and what I don't want to claim because there's a lot of like things about Korean culture I don't like like I don't like the sexism and the patriarchy and it's very uh image focused right Korea has Mm -hmm. like one of the highest plastic surgery rates in the world it's insane and I don't fit into any physical like beauty stereotypes of what and you know a beautiful Korean woman supposed to be so it's like even if I wanted to fit in I couldn't so yeah so I I don't have any answers for myself yet but all I know is that yes I belong to myself and I get to decide what that means and not just that but what I decide today can be different than what I decide five years from now or 10 years from now or you know god god willing if I live 50 more years right it's it's like we don't have to have all the answers we we can we can move through through our lives and and messy and incomplete and like ways and it you can believe one you, your truth in one phase of your life can be one thing and it could shift in another and I, you know my journeys certainly shifted so if you were to ask me what my identity is 10 years from now i have no idea what i'm going to say and that's the exciting part about living Oh, I can talk to you forever. Thank you. This I is know. So I'm good. like the talker. I like two hour <laughs> conversation. I'm like, one hour? That's long enough. <laughs> well, how can people learn about you, connect with you, all the things? Yeah, thank you for that uh, invitation to share. So you can find me. I basically, the only place I really hang out is Instagram. So at Judy Lee Photography. And then you can also visit my website, judyleephotography.com. And I would invite anybody, if they go to my website and you have this like body reaction, it means that working with me will be an incredible growth experience. So I feel like that's the gauge. It's like, if your body, my clients are always like, my body just, I had this reaction and the reaction should be a little mix of a lot of desire with a mix of fear, because I believe that all of us at heart, our biggest fear is being seen we we both fear and desire being seen all the time and that's what that's the work i love it oh thank you so much judy and for those of you listening please share this episode if it resonated tag us both we will be share it and thank you so much 
to help you feel more supported and nourished in your body and nervous system, you're invited to download the free I Am Supported meditation in the show notes. May you feel grounded in who you are as you become the fullest expression of yourself. Thank you for listening to the Sacred Emergence podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And thank you in advance for sharing with those who can benefit. Until next time.